Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 138, where in a moment we welcome another guest to help us look at the world of investing in residential property. David Liddell of Liddell Property Investments is here for that soon, but please bear in mind if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows. Because in our programs today, we featured loads of stuff mortgages, investing, wills, and powers of attorney, and heaps more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last time, we looked at a beginner's guide to managing your money. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis. Joining me as always, the star of our show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. So uh, another guest in the show, as we get set to talk about investing in residential property, not something we've touched upon before. And our expert in this area is David Liddell of Liddell Property Investments. Welcome to the show, David. Before we dive into all of it, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your own background, the company and the area you cover geographically. Yeah, great. So thanks for having me on. So yeah, I'm David. I'm from actually from Ellen, where Phil obviously his main office is. Uh, after essentially leaving school, I went to university in Aberdeen, studied as mechanical engineer, and then worked uh, through various uh, few companies in Aberdeen, and then uh, moved my engineering job down to Glasgow. And now it was always kind of a dream of mine to start my own business and stuff. However, back just before just before the COVID days, I was actually um, in Glasgow here, and we were almost preparing to move to Australia with a job that I'd been offered in engineering across there. So then the lovely COVID hit and that plan got kind of kiboshed. So I'd all that lined up and COVID came in and was kind of a bit lost, wondering what to do. It was like kind of the dream was killed. So obviously I had a lot of spare time on our hands and I was actually in the midst of selling a property that I had up in Peterhead, a buy-to-let property. Uh, that I'd bought before I'd moved to Glasgow. I moved to Glasgow just over six years ago now. So that was going to tie in great with selling that and moving to Australia and everything. But the sale of that actually got delayed. So what I um, then done was decide what am I going to do with that money when it actually ended up coming in once um, the property market reopened again. And I was kind of, my plan was, right, I'll just, um, I'm down here in Glasgow, there's cheap property. I'll just buy maybe two 50 grand buy to lets or something and, you know, that'll be it. And then that would be kind of all the money gone. And then I kind of done went on a bit of self-development myself personally and doing a lot of education in the spare time throughout COVID. And I thought, why don't I just not just spend all that money in one go on two properties and do a bit of learning, do a bit of education and make a business of it, which I'd always kind of dreamed of starting a business up. So I tended some various various training courses related to property, done a lot of online stuff, done a lot of reading, learning, etc. And then coming out of that course, basically, I then um, met somebody and basically started up the business out the back of that and met somebody there who had done a joint venture with. And within about, I think it was three weeks, so say within a month of leaving that, we secured a property in Coatbridge, just down from where I actually stayed. And 
we flipped that property around, which I think we'll get into more later, um, and it made a healthy profit of nearly £50,000, which really opened my eyes to think, wow, if um, if I can do that, you know, straight away off the bat, um, you know, and essentially make more money than, you know, a typical engineering salary is around about that mark. You know, if I can do that, you know, that easily, although there was challenges with it, what could be possible going forward? So then it, then it led me down the road of, you know, working the business just alongside still working my engineering role. Um, and then in March 22, just over a year ago, I handed my notice in fully after I kind of phased out my engineering work. And it just so happened that exact week that people in Australia reached back out to me and asked, uh, do you want the, the job again? Um, and now I did dawn and things going, oh, that would be nice to move there. But yeah, so, but no, decided to stick to my guns here, doing what I always wanted to do and love and just um, focused on the business. Now, since then, really to track back and almost answer your question about a wee bit about the company, and the area I cover. So I'm in Glasgow and operating, you know, all across Glasgow, kind of broad, you know, central belt. However, I have looked at opportunities up in Aberdeen as well. And really the the, the main services we kind of offer is, you know, a port, hands-off portfolio building service for clients um, and, you know, a, almost a joint venture option for clients as well. And that really always all stems from me sourcing being being in the business and sourcing property and then whatever that property opportunity brings i could it could maybe be for portfolio building it could be a joint venture depends on the deal and then that's it kind of all stems from sourcing so so that's where the the two main services of the business that i'm focusing on at the moment fantastic i mean i think probably you're uh the first guest that we've had on who's actually done that thing that you hear so much about where they've, they've had a look during COVID at what they do and thought, you know what, I'm going to follow my dream yeah. and, and, and made something uh, out of themselves and, and, and something out of that period of time where they've used it constructively and positively, done their education, gone and, and, and actually pursued it and, and run down after that, that thing that they've always wanted to do. And it sounds also as well that you, you possibly just fall into something that you have a real a real gift for, a real knack for, David. And this week, we're specifically looking at residential property. You're, you're living this dream. So why invest in, in residential property, David? Yeah, I think a residential property is a, is a great investment. You know, not only are you, you know, looking at probably purchasing property that are maybe a little tired and run down and looking at making them better and putting them on the on the market for somebody to come in and make their home, um, which is always great. But I mean, residential property, there's such a high demand for it, especially down here in Glasgow. I mean, it's very, very hard for someone to find a, a property at the moment. And it's actually been made worse recently by a lot of things that have gone, gone on in the market, uh, which we might touch on later. So the, the, the demand down here is really, really high, you know, um, obviously with that being that, that rental has gone up and that unfortunate for some, but you know, we're just with inflation anyway, rental has gone up and the price has gone up because of the demand down here. And not only that, but I mean, with that in, in hand with obviously the mortgage interest rates, which Phil knows all about with them increasing, essentially the, the rental has to go up for mm. the, the landlord to still be able to make money and cover his costs and have contingencies in place. So, 
it's all kind of in line, um, I think. Um, but it has it has had a bit of an impact on some people that have maybe not been doing it right for many years. But that also maybe them winding back and selling up presents a lot of opportunities for new people to get into the market and and start a portfolio. I think property's always been a, a really good asset class. And over the years, it's generally tended to, to go up. I mean, there's periods where, where things will go down as well, but it's such a, a strong asset class. And we, it's always supply and demand. Eh? And, and you'll tend to find, I mean, I, I think demand will go up a wee bit more. They, they've just announced that the return of 100% mortgages. Skipton Building Society's got a product out. We're going to cover that next week. On the, the podcast, that's going to be the topic for, for next week's show. But all things like that, can I put the demand up? And when demand goes up for something, the prices will, will rise as well. And the, there's, the population's growing and there's just not enough places for, for people to stay. So I know personally, I, I think property is a really, really good asset class. If, if someone was looking to get started, David, where, where would they, they kind of start? And, and how much money would somebody typically need to, to get started? Yeah, I mean, looking at a typical buy to let now, obviously down here in Glasgow, you, you can pick up stuff for under the £40,000 mark, but, you know, that would tend to have to be a cash purchase. So let's look at a more, you know, what I would call is a really, a really good buy to let here in Glasgow. It's like maybe you're, if you know, kind of the four and a block cottage flats, which, um, you know, are maybe going to end up being worth about the hundred grand mark, which makes it easy for numbers talking numbers as well so if you're looking at a buy to let mortgage obviously you're you're going to be 25 percent deposit down which is essentially your 25 grand uh deposit down and then you know maybe spending a little bit on the refurb you've obviously got all your other costs of of uh you know the conveyancing your stamp duty etc so if you're looking at adding all that up the money on the refurb you know you're probably there up near the forty thousand pound mark now, I think that's that would be a good amount of capital to get started to, you know, potentially purchase your first property, maybe maybe 60, 70-ish thousand here in Glasgow, be able to purchase it, be able to spend maybe £15,000 on a refurb, all the other costs involved, and then look at having maybe an asset that's then worth 100000 Yeah, and what I say to clients is, you know, typically the £40,000 mark is a good starting point, a good um, amount to be able to do that. And I know as well what, what some property investors will do, they'll try and get somewhere for such a good price or, or under value initially, and then try to add to the value so that by the time the property has been done up and, and ready to rent out, at that point, they're almost ready to remortgage so they can take the equity back out that they put in. Is that something you see people doing as well, David? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the model of the, the BRRR model, they call it, obviously, um, is, is very good. Buying it a discount initially, you've got that instant capital growth, you know, so and then, you know, whether you're adding maybe a bedroom onto the property, if you see if you're maybe doing a wee bit more works than just changing the kitchen and bathroom, you're obviously then going to bump the value up so much higher. Um, and then you're possibly at a point where you can, yeah, refinance instantly and pull a lot of your money back out to go again. And and that's really the way that, you know, you can you can grow very quickly with the same pot of cash. 
Assuming this is property investment and we're not seeing it ourselves, when you're selecting a property to buy, should you just go about it the way that you would if you were buying a home for yourself or, or do you need to think differently? I mean, I, I think you pretty much touched on it already, but what are the important things to consider? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it's it's a totally different mindset. You know, um, you need to almost think very strategically, very based on the numbers and not really have any emotional attachment. Now, when buying your home, I know I've done it. You get that emotion. You'll maybe say, right, £100,000 my limit. You might, oh, I really like this one, stretch it. You know, maybe people offer over the home report. I think with, with investing, that, that you need to that has to be gone completely. You know, it has to be based on your due diligence. You need to work out what's the maximum you're going to offer and not go above that and focus on, you know, doing very careful, being very careful with your initial due diligence and, and sticking to your rules and criteria and not going past it. Because as soon as you start to go past it once, then the next time, next time, and it just will end up, you're not you squeezing the profit or the margins too tight and it won't work out for you. Do you tend to look for property that's maybe besides schools or universities? Is there cert, certain kind of rules that you would sort of try or things, criteria almost that you try to stick to, David? Yeah, I mean, we're looking here in Glasgow, it's almost like anything will rent at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you know, when, when we're passing on deals to our clients, we provide a very detailed investor pack document uh, when we're passing on properties. And, and a lot of things like that are touched on and we'll highlight that, right? It's five minute walk to a primary school. It's 10 minutes to the secondary school. It's this close to a hospital. The demand here is very high. We'll look at what's on the market and and typically looking at what's available on the market, sorry. Um, and if you go on Rightmove and, and, and look, put that postcode in and look at the properties available and, most of the time in Glasgow at the moment, you know, you, you'll you look in the rental market and there's maybe only three or four on. And what that tells me is that the 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 market is they're just getting snapped up quickly and there's not enough properties, you know, for the amount of people that are wanting to rent. So yeah, yeah, all these, you know, key things, hospitals, schools is critical. But yeah, yeah, making sure that demands there is is also critical. Yeah, so I know you do a like a property sourcing service as well. So with, with that, am I right in saying somebody would just say to you right, this is how much money we've got? You would then go and look for for that sort of property. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah. It really, the the portfolio building um all stems off me sourcing the property, and then if it's suitable for a portfolio building client of mine, and what really what really I'm I'm helping them with there is you know there may be. It tends to be people that have maybe got highly demanding jobs, maybe running a business. You know, that that's their speciality. That's what they should be focusing on, you know. And then yeah. when they have some downtime, they don't want to be running around doing viewings, putting in 10 offers, not getting anywhere, you know, spending their weekends doing that. So we take all that away from them uh, by sourcing a property directly from a seller and then bringing that opportunity to them. Now, what we do is we basically have various conversations before they actually onboard with the service, uh, finding out their criteria, how much money they've got, you know, what, what properties they're looking for, what sort of return they're looking for. So then when we bring them the opportunity, you know, we make sure that it matches that criteria and they'll have all that, as I mentioned in the document earlier on, they'll have all the information to make that decision. The, the key thing being the due diligence, the demand, making sure the numbers are correct and what return they're getting. And off the back of that, they should be able to make a quick decision. Yes, I want to take this one or 
no, it's not for me. And most of the time it should be a yes because we've already run over in detail exactly what they're looking for. And if I'm bringing them something that doesn't match that, then I'm not holding to my word. So I only ever bring them up opportunity if it matches that criteria of theirs. Yeah. And essentially then it's ready to go. It's a fixed price and, and there's none of the doing viewings, running about, putting in offers here, there and everywhere. And not only that, we deal with all this, the process after that from dealing yeah. with the brokers, the, the solicitors and managing the full refurb on their behalf. I'd say, I suppose folk would like it if, if you can make things easy and straightforward. That, the same with us when we're giving financial advice. We do all the hard work to save them the time and just make it easy. Yeah. And you, you mentioned, like, well, when somebody talks about a property portfolio, what exactly do they mean? And, and you also mentioned as well, like, I was also going to ask, what makes a strong portfolio? And you, you mentioned about portfolio building. How, how does somebody go about that? So, yeah, I mean, really going about starting it would be, you know, a, a lot of people come to me that, that are just getting started, but I've also got clients that are looking to expand. So, I mean, with, with our with our service, you know, we would help them from the get-go of setting up the business, finding out, you know, putting them in touch with the right accountants to find out initially their their, their main thing is their, their tax position and making sure they're making the right decision. Now, most of the time now it is almost certain if you're wanting to do it to, to a certain scale, you're going to want to put them into a limited company because of all the different rules and regulations with and, and restrictions, essentially, in your personal name at the moment. So, so yeah, the, figuring that out from the get-go and then, you know, getting started building their portfolio would be working out how much cash they've got and, you know, what opportunities is going to work for them. And then really it's just about, I think it's just taking the first step and getting that first, what I'd call deal done and getting that first project over the line to, to work out the process, get to know how it works, you know, and then, you know, all, all going well, it's a, it's a success. And then looking at, as we mentioned earlier, pulling your money back out uh, and going again and really trying to, 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 to scale it up as quickly as possible, but, you know, without taking too much of a risk. Mentioned earlier, David, you probably have to have the funds in place yourself in order to go about doing something like this. But that's not always the case. And the, the idea of joint venture is, is something you enter in as well. Tell us about, about that and the sort of criteria for it. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. I mean, it's not always about, you know, you have to have the money or, you know, you have to be sitting with lots of money in the bank. Essentially, you know, a lot of my projects today have been joint ventures. And I think just joint ventures in general and any business kind of aspect, you know, it it works really well, you know, if you're essentially, if there's something missing in one skill set or resources. So say I have the I have the property deal, I have the resources to complete everything. I've maybe not got the money to invest in it. Now there's maybe a guy over here who's on the opposite end of the table who has the money, but he doesn't want to get involved in any of that noise. And that's when you can come together and, you know, essentially both of you are almost useless unless you have each other. You know, there's no point in me having a deal and not being able to do anything mm. with it. And then he's got the money and he's not got any deals to put it in. So coming coming together and making that happen can be very good because, you know, you, you've both got different skill sets. You obviously agree on terms from the get-go and you know, all going well if you lay out your roles and responsibilities, just like any kind of business partnership, 
you know, and then then you can come together and make stuff happen. Now we we do a lot, as I've mentioned, a lot of my projects have been joint ventures, and it doesn't have to be just all oh, like I mentioned, a guy with the property and a guy with the money. It could be, you know, may like like some I've done. I've joint ventured with the contractor who essentially does the work, um, and we've put both put in equal amounts of money. Um, I've found the property and dealt with all the the seller, the you know all the the kind of almost ad not admin but dealt with solicitors and all that the financing and he's dealt with getting the refurb done and not only that if, if in that situation he's got invested interest in that property you know he knows how to do a refurb I didn't I don't need to sit there and start picking tiles I don't need to get involved in any of that he just knows what he needs to go in and do to make it make the do the property up to the right standard for that location. And he's got invested interest in that. That means essentially he, you know, he's going to be more motivated to finish it on time, on budget, and you know, do it to the right standard. Because at the end of the day, he's going to be making money on it too. And and that and almost every time, you know, well, every time I've done this, you know, it has been done on time, on budget, and um, because they've had that, you know, invested interest in the project. Now, I'm going to let you into, not a secret, because I think this is a, a lot of blokes, but this is one of the bugbears of my life. I, I take it some types of property investing involve going in, maybe picking up something that's worse for wear, then doing it up and selling it on what the Americans call flipping. Now, my wife has these programs on all the time. I can't begin to tell you all the time. Chip and Joe, all of these people. Is this something that happens a lot more in the UK now? I mean, I'd imagine it probably is the quickest way of achieving a bigger return on investment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, before I've mentioned the, the joint ventures, you know, after coming out of kind of my, my my course back then and doing that flip that I mentioned right back at the start, mm. um, it was essentially a joint venture. So in that case, we came together and we, we found this opportunity down in Coke Bridge. And just to, just to, everybody likes to know the numbers, so I'm, I'm going to run through them. Um, Basically, we snapped this up at thirty-eight thousand pound. This um, it's a if you know Glasgow at all, it was like a blonde sandstone kind of building. Now it's a wee one-bedroom flat. Now the kitchen in it was absolutely massive, and we've seen a huge opportunity there to convert it. So we we purchased that at thirty-eight thousand pound. Now that had to be a cash purchase at that level. Now not only that, you save on stamp duty because it's under the forty thousand pound mark. Um, now this was a big refurb, and we converted it essentially turned the kitchen into a bedroom, opened it up. So we went through the whole building warrant application and everything and turned it into a two-bed. And we must have spent, you know, in the region of £40,000 there on the refurb. So essentially more than what we actually bought the property for and then flipped it on. And now nearly that whole process, by the time it actually ended up selling and completing and money in the bank was nearly a year. But, you know, that, that project alone, flipping that on and adding a huge amount of value by converting it, you know, ended up with us with the near just shy of £50,000 profit. So I think, you know, flipping properties definitely is a great way of, if you've maybe got a pot of cash and you want to get that pot higher before you maybe end up investing in buy-to-lets, it's definitely a good way of, you know, building up capital. But, you know, if the thing is, if you're doing doing that all the time, you're always going to be chasing the next project. And then it mm. might be a year until you find the next one. Then that money's sat and you've not done anything for a year. I mean, tracking back, looking at that project, we could have easily 
refinanced that property and essentially pulled all our money back out plus more and and essentially had that asset for free and then have let it out and had no of our own money invested in it. Now that would have paid me for as long as I owned that property. So flipping is obviously good to build up the capital, but you may, you know, looking at keep buying and holding it is going to pay you for however long you you hold that asset. So so it's a bit it depends what your goals are, I think what your goals are and what your plan is and what you're good at. If you, for some reason you're maybe in the trades and you're looking at, I can do flips day in, day out and do them really quickly, efficiently, cheaply. And, you know, and that's what I want to do and build up a big pot of money to do whatever with, then that might be your thing. But if your goal is to purchase buy-to-lets and get reoccurring income, build up over time, maybe generate wealth for your your, your obviously your retirement or maybe passing on to your kids at a later date and buying and holding is, is maybe the thing that you want to do. It purely depends on, I'd always say, what your goals are. I, I like property as an investment. And one of the things myself, I'm not very hands-on when it comes to like uh, doing, say, trades work, joinery, building, that, that sort of thing. So that, that's probably something that would put me off. But is there a service available to investors where somebody can almost like project manage all of that sort of things. You, I mean, I, I know you'll get some people who might be quite good with their hands and, and do a lot of that work themselves, which is great. But I know for me, I, I always think, right, if I work harder at my job, make more money, and then I can pay somebody else to do it. Is that something that, that would be available, David? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're totally right there. I think, you know, if, you, if you've got the money there and, you know, your business or job is working out well, then you're almost normally always best focusing on that and getting somebody in to do it better and quicker for you and you don't yeah to really answer your question no you you don't need to know how to do everything and it's like it's it's all about kind of leveraging other people and having the right team around you you know um unless you're some sort of like Elon Musk guy who knows everything about everything yeah. and knows how to do everything is just superhuman then I'd say you know you need to get get a good team around you to be able to do things quicker better and um, more efficiently than you'll ever be able to do on your own you know you could get caught up you know in the refurb and end up dragging it out for a year trying to maybe in your head work say oh well I'm saving maybe a thousand pounds here not employing a painter but then you're spending two months doing the project and then it drags on for two months just painting it and looking at the finance costs associated with that, you know, of the mortgage or bridging loan for that period or whatever it may be, you probably end up losing money and you're just trying to maybe in your head squeeze a wee bit more profit out by doing the work yourself when really I'd rather look at, right, we could probably, if we just use our full team to do everything, you know, and I just more of a high level management of it, you know, you can maybe do five projects in the time that you do one on your own, you know, I'd much rather do that than get so caught up in, in one project. And and that's definitely um, something that, you know, the, a service that we offer, it comes hand in hand with a portfolio building where we manage it all. We manage our, our, you know, refurbishment team on the client's behalf with the portfolio building and the joint venture option that we offer as well is essentially them, them them providing in the money into the projects or the deals that we've got and and we'll deal with all that as well and by all means they can come visit the project they can come see it 
you know, full transparency with everything that's going on with the finances. But there, there's absolutely no need for them to to worry about, you know, oh, what colour the tile's going to be, you know, <laughs> who's doing the painting, do I need to get involved in refurb or anything like that. It's just not necessary because we're, we're you know, using the power team that we've got yeah. already. Yeah. That, that's one thing we spoke about, like, you can people can buy to let, buy to flip. The one thing that I, I'm finding or seeing, I think, becoming more popular is, is things like serviced accommodation and Airbnb. That that's something you've experienced in as well, is it, David? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we've done done a few um, uh, serviced accommodation properties, and yeah, it is just becoming so so popular. And now, I think I think what's important is you know a lot of people associate Airbnb and think, oh, it's just a a wee cabin up in Glencoe, a hot tub, and and that's it. That you know you put on there, and that, that's not all. That's not the case. That's only like a small fraction of what the you know the short term lets is the official name is all about. You know, if you think about it, if you've got you know a big project, if there's a big project, construction project going on some on somewhere. You know, for you know, say take Grangemouth or something, they're you're doing a big project there, the refinery, and, and there's a lot of guys that need to come up to, to stay in accommodation. Now, they would maybe look at okay, you can go into a travel lodge, a hundred pounds per head per night. Now, if you're if you're the one that's you know managing that 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 large project and placing the contractors there, you know, that's a huge cost. Whereas they could maybe put them into a service accommodation, maybe £150 a night, but it sleeps four people and they've got that accommodation over that period for a lot cheaper. So there's a huge market in service accommodation for like contractors or insurance um, cases where maybe somebody's had uh, the unfortunate of their house going on fire or flooding and they've had to move out. Now they need to be home somewhere. Now a service accommodation is perfect for that. And what that is also is that they will book the service accommodation for months on end. You know, it's not just a three day stay here or there. You know, and that that the, the amount of revenue you can get from the asset is far superior to anything you would ever get with buy to let. So you're really like almost sweating the asset as much as you can. And you know, something that may, you know, the one that I've got in Cope Bridge, for example, you'd never think like when I tell people about it, they go, "Why would anybody want to holiday there?" <laughs> but nobody's holiday in there. People are coming there and staying and maybe commuting into Glasgow because it is close and it's a big home for a family to stay as opposed to staying in, again, like the, a, a typical hotel in the city centre. But yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, you can generate maybe, you know, seven, £800 rental a month from that property as a vital let. But if it's a service accommodation, you know, it can generate £4,000 a month, you know. Obviously, there's a lot more costs involved and management and that of it all. But if you've got the right management team in place and got basically, I don't do anything with it. And because I've got all the team in place that manage it all, I don't really need to do much. I don't need to be letting them in if they've lost their keys. It's totally hands off for me. So it really is a popular strategy because of the and then you're getting a much higher return on your money you're putting in also. But there's a lot of a lot of legislation coming in. At the moment, across Scotland first, and nothing happening in England yet. But I think it will follow, with you know having to get planning and planning applications done for any property that's been as a short term let, and getting that approved. But again, it's like there's a lot of regulation comes in when probably 
to almost tighten up when people aren't doing things right. So, I mean, if you're doing everything right and you've got all the certification in place, you're renting out a nice property that is looked after, you're looking after the guests, you're looking, also making sure that it's not disturbing anybody that lives around there. And it's probably just going to, the new legislation is probably just going to weed out people that are not doing it right or not providing a good service. And you know, I know it's a, some some people will see like things as a negative, but it can also be a positive because there, I know there's changes coming in. Was it the the energy efficiency on rental properties, for example? But then that might mean that some people exit the market, which then just gives you more opportunities as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you just need there's always you know things that can be done to to adhere to the new legislation, and does obviously. People just, you know, see one rule and run away from it, like Section 24 tax rules done that. You know, there was obviously ways of getting around that and moving properties into limited companies. But yeah, the EPC thing obviously is a big thing. And I'm not sure whether I agree and whether it's been fully thought out because there's just, you know, thousands and thousands of older properties that just, you know, it would cost it's un, It's not economical to to spend the amount you need to spend to bring it up to that rating. But I guess you know they're going to have certain clauses that that almost rule them out of having to meet that high EPC rating because it's just you know if you have to spend thirty grand insulating a, a flat that's only generating seven hundred pound a month, you're you're never going to be able to recoup that money. So it's just yeah. not viable for some properties. I guess as well, that, that's one of the reasons to, to kind of go to an expert, is it? Because you would know about all these sort of things. And when it comes to property, David, do you kind of see it more as a long-term investment? Or I suppose, like we mentioned about buy to flip and, and stuff like that, I suppose there's more than one way to skin a cat, is there? Yeah, absolutely. You know what? It all depends on, you know, on the, on the deal. You know, when I'm sourcing these properties, you know, it depends on what, you know, essentially, it's, it all starts off with what you know, the, what type of property is, what the situation is with the with the seller and that, and and what the best route for is is for that type of property in that area. You know, it might not work for a buy to let for a long term. It might only be that you just flip it on. You know, if it's maybe a three four hundred thousand pound or maybe even two hundred thousand pound property, might not work as a buy to let. You might not be able to generate enough rental income to actually make it cash flow properly. So when when we get opportunities in, we're always looking at like, you know, what what's the best offer, best route to take this one down? Is it a flip? Is it a service accommodation? Is it a buy to let? And also I was looking at, right, if that doesn't work, what's the backup almost strategy? What's the backup exit for it? But yeah, I, I think generally it, it goes back to what your goals are, as I mentioned earlier, whether it's you're just wanting to build up a pot of cash for some reason, or you're wanting a long-term investment and generating, you know, cash flow from the buy to lets, which then can, you know, be either saved up to then buy another one. Can you can look at that, or if you're going to end up taking an income from it. And for a lot of people, it's maybe you've got a high demand job and I want to start investing in property, getting you know, 10, 20 properties to then essentially replace their income. Now, that that's something that's very popular because a lot of people are working, you know, maybe offshore, quite a few clients offshore or overseas. And then they're looking to 
kind of almost take a step back with their work. You know, they continue to work as they are now, but maybe they've got a plan in five years they want to step back. And how they're going to enable that is by, you know, maybe getting 10 properties to then give them, you know, an additional income. So then they can maybe work less time, but then also have the same amount of income. And that is, you know, that comes from the, the property portfolio. So that is something that I help basically client. That's the kind of, level I help clients get to is helping them build that portfolio, get towards that goal. And while they're still continuing on their job, you know, doing what they need to do, but with with very little time involvement, like one client, I um, got a property for him in Aberdeen, actually. And we, we ended up switching strategy with it. It was going to be a buy to let and we changed it to a service accommodation just because we thought this is going to work really well for this. I sourced him the property. He worked offshore. And he basically did not view the property, did not do anything. I basically dealt with the architect. We converted the property from a one to a two bedroom flat, dealt with the full process throughout while he was offshore. And then we got it converted and done everything we needed to do into service accommodation from the furnishing to then getting it listed. And basically this doesn't happen all the time, but he got a couple of weeks ago, we got notified that the guest was arriving on their booking, which it was booked for the whole year. So they made a 365-day booking on this property mm. in Aberdeen. And it basically is going to generate £25,000 of revenue throughout the year from this wee £50,000 property bought and converted. So, wow. yeah, I mean, so looking at the long term, the, the cash flow he's going to get from that is essentially a, a huge bonus onto his, you know, wage and and you know, a few more of them, then you can look at, right, I can start working less or maybe go into a different job where I can spend more time doing what I want to do, whether it's Mm. hobbies or family or whatever. One of the things Phil always gets me to ask our guests, David, is what are the pros and cons? Or in this instance, are there any disadvantages of investing in in residential property? Uh, Almost always there's cons. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So the the pros, you know, is obviously that the the freedom that it may give you, like we've just discussed, mm. start with the pros. Yeah, the freedom that will give you, basically, you know, you're not going to be able to, in my eyes, get cash flow from a property portfolio. No, you're not going to get cash flow elsewhere than like you would be able to get from a property portfolio, especially if you venture into something like serviced accommodation. And, and you know, with my service being being able to do that for clients while they're offshore or whatever. The pros of that is that they're going to almost be able to, you know, pull back from their work, from from the, you know, working hard, doing what they do, saving up their money, putting it to work in property and getting that cash flow. But then there's always, is the, the cons of it. I'll just uh, maybe tell you a story, that, a wee story here that happened to me re- recently that, it's kind of, you know, you always think, right, what would it take to actually make me lose the plot? But um, just before Christmas there, we were doing a project in Hamilton. It was like a flip project. So it, it, I'll set the scene here. It was just before Christmas where it was really cold weather. In the morning, we were I said, we were moving house at the time as well, stuff from storage, and we were darting here, there, and everywhere. And it was just at the last day of cold weather. Now, it, it thawed overnight, the, the frost, and got really icy. Now, in the morning... I happened to slide and crash my basically six-month-old car into a metal fence. And I was due to go on holiday in that car in three days. Now, I managed to get it sorted and that. 
whichever. So that was in the morning. In the afternoon, we were moving stuff from storage and the estate agent of this property phoned me. The closing date for that property was the day before this. Um, she phoned me and says, somebody's looked in the property and there's water coming in. So I phoned up my contractor who I was JVing with at the time. Again, this is why it was so great because he's obviously, he just went there straight away to the property. I was unable to at the time because of what had happened. And the, the, essentially a pipe had burst in the attic and this property would just spent over £45,000 refurbishing. It was completely flooded from head oh. to toe. Um, and there was inches of water in the bottom of it. And this was just before Christmas. We were both due to go on holiday. And, oh, <laughs> it really was testing my threshold. But anyway, we'd done what we needed to do. We both of us stayed there till, I know, don't get, say, don't get caught up in doing the refurb and everything. But when times like this, <laughs> things like this happen, let me tell you, there, I was there with the vax, hoovering all the water up and everything. Oh. And, so, so that, that there is them cons, things like this do happen. And, you know, whether it's that, you know, on a flip project, which is probably an extreme case now, it could have been a lot worse if we'd went on holiday and nobody mm. had seen that and it would have destroyed the complete place. But obviously having, you know, if you're, you know, that's an extreme case if you're doing a flip and something went wrong, you know, you need to make sure you're protected and got c- contingencies in place. And the same applies for a buy-to-let property you know, having contingency in place if, or insurances in place if a, for some reason a tenant stops paying or they wreck the place or you need to do repairs, you know, but making sure that you're you're saving up a wee buffer for things like that happening and you're not going to end up then going down a vicious circle of not being able to keep on top of repairs and then, you know, your property's getting substandard and it just... You, you know, and then you can't maximise the rent. You know, it's, it's important in having a great letting agent in place, I think, to be able to help you manage these things if it was a buy-to-let as well. Yeah. I know when I was thinking of, like, disadvantages of property, you've got, you mentioned about you could get a bad tenant. One thing I would say, I mean, what was going on about property prices rising, which generally in the longer term they, they tend to, but I, I suppose prices can fall as well as rise. I would always... Can I emphasize that? But we often sort of think, oh, it'll always go up in value. But the, the other thing that can change as well is tax positions. And I know there's been a lot of changes over the, the last few years for things like additional dwelling supplement on properties if you're buying a second home in, in Scotland. With, with stuff like tax implications, David, is that the sort of things that you would discuss with people or would you tend to refer them on to specialists for, for that sort of advice? Yeah, I mean... Things like obviously ADS has went up in Scotland. We seem to get all the lovely rises in, in, in tax related to property. But, you know, essentially with something like, a, let's talk talk about ADS, ADS going up to the, the 6% and obviously higher as the bands go up based on the purchase price. If you're flipping or buying a buy-to-let property, you just need to you just need to deal with it. There's nothing you can do about it. You just need to make sure that you incorporate that cost into your numbers. And you know that's what we always do. We you know any any changes you need to incorporate the cost. It's a higher cost now. You know, so you just need to to get on with it. There's nothing you can do about it. And obviously, then it really squeezes. You know, makes it harder to. You've got now maybe a couple of thousand more ADS. Now you're you're making less profit, then you maybe think, oh, does this deal even work now that the rates have gone up and stuff? And But yeah, I mean, another one is obviously Section Section 24 tax changes that happened 
quite a while back now where it made it really difficult for especially high income, you know, tax bracket individuals to have property in their personal name and make money from them because they just can't deduct all the expenses like they used to be able to, which really has had a huge impact on a lot of people. And I'm dealing with a lot of sellers at the moment who have had the properties in their personal name and they've just kind of went, oh, well, and just carried on with it. But then now the interest rates rised and through COVID, they can't raise rents and it's put a lot of them in a really bad position where they, they, they're going to lose, essentially have to sell them at a loss, you know. Um, but but without being all negative about it, the, the Section 24 is, you know, a lot of people think that, that you know, it's very, very expensive, I think, to, to move the properties then into a limited company. And, uh, I think that's down to maybe not not knowing exactly how to do or, or maybe just kind of doing their own research not speaking to the specialists that um that deal with this day in day out now i i work pass a lot of my clients on to a, a basically a, a, a accountant specialist that deals with moving properties from a personal name into a limited company now he doesn't he's not accountant that does your standard year-end books or anything like that he doesn't do anything like that he just specifically does these property transactions and now a lot of people think oh there's so much cost involved in it but really when you look at it there's ways that you can do it that make it actually you know pr more profitable for you yeah. and also that you um that you're going to benefit from a, a large tax um essentially tax-free amount in your new company when the tr properties are transferred over so it allows you to essentially draw down money tax-free from from that new SPV that you hold the properties in. But again, I'm not really, I'm not the accountant. And I know a high level yeah. overview of it and he would guide anybody, you know, on the right path with that to, to maybe turn properties that are not working today in your personal name into properties that are going to continue to be profitable and give you, you know, the cash flow or whatever you, that, that you initially desired from them once you move them into that limited company. Okay. One one of the things um, that I was thinking about, David, and you, you sort of went back over this, was you're building a portfolio to lease out your properties for a steady income. It would be time-consuming unless you use something like an agent. And, you know, for, for whatever reason, if you couldn't lease a property out and it's not bringing any money in, it, but it's still costing you, you mentioned having a contingency, and that is something that, that I think is is very important. So, having mentioned those things, maybe just if you could summarize for us the sort of do's and don'ts of investing in residential property. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, contingency is important in any business decision. You know, um, hands down, I would always recommend that having a letting agent in place. You know, it's it's critical. A lot of people want to manage it themselves, and and really, you look at a typical letting agent around about the ten percent of the monthly income. You know, say it's even if it's a thousand prop thousand pound a month rent, it's a hundred pound a month. You know, the amount of time that that's going to save you if you put an hourly rate towards that of all the stuff you're going to do. You know, it it just doesn't work out in my eyes. And plus, look what happened throughout COVID with you know the the, all the, the the temporary rules they put in place, which really hammered the landlords and all the things that are happening now, whether they weren't paying, tenants not paying, or or you know things happening going wrong. Having a letting agent that's good in place 
And maybe they also provide you certain insurances that cover if the for some reason the tenant stops paying, so you still get the revenue. Having things like that in place. And I'll let an agent there that's got your back, that's working on your best interest, but also, you know, looking after the tenant and just maybe being the middleman and coming to maybe being able to come to sort some sort of common ground that you wouldn't be able to if you were just, you know, dealing with a property on your own and trying to manage 10 properties, 20 properties, even two or three, you know, as you know, alongside mm. your own job. And to me, it's just not worth doing that yourself. I, I think it's almost critical to always have a letting agent in place. We, we've covered quite a lot today, David. And I know if, yeah. if somebody was looking to speak to yourself in more detail, do you have contact details where they can, can get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, always open to speak to anybody that's interested in me or just having a chat around property. And the best place to get me would almost definitely be LinkedIn. It's the thing that I keep most current with. So just into LinkedIn and search David Liddle. Um, and I should come up, you'll you'll notice uh, my profile easily, full of property stuff. So, yeah, David oh. Liddell. Okay, now comes uh, the part of the show where Phil looks back over the course of his own life, uh, both professionally and personally, to find an example of how today's topic has affected his situation. So, Phil, investing in residential property, what do you have on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I like property as an investment. Usually over the longer term, it, it tends to do pretty well. And I've mentioned earlier, there's not really enough homes for, for the rise in population. So that should mean that prices continue to rise over the longer term. And I, I would invest more in property, but I've got six kids and a wedding to pay for. So that'll restrict <laughs> me for the next wee while. But no, I, I like property as an investment. It is something that, 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 if you know what you're doing, and that's where people like David can come in to, to help folk there as well. Next, it's time for the quote of the week. Phil's always been a fan of quotes for as long as I've known him. What do you have on our topic for this week, investing in residential property? I've got a quote from Andrew Carnegie this week. At one point in time, he was the world's richest man. The quote is, 90% of all millionaires become so through owning real estate. Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your query. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you prefer. Let's get on to this week's contact details coming up in a second. I'll give it to you after these. This first one's from Stephen Fraser in New Pittsligo. Hi, Phil. I won't bore you with the details, but I got into a lot of debt when I was younger and never managed to start a pension. It took me a long time to get on a better financial footing, but at 38... With a bit of disposable income, I need to play catch-up. Should I start a pension now or look to invest money elsewhere to try and gain more for my twilight years? I, I would say for Stephen, the best thing to do would be to sit down with a financial advisor to, to go through things. That's that's what I would be recommending here. Pensions are, are a great way to save because you get tax relief on the contributions. If you're employed, your employer would need to, to pay in as well. The, the downside with that is that the money's locked away for a number of years. Um, other things that he could consider is things like ISAs. There's plenty of options out there, but I, I would say a good starting place would be to sit down with a, a financial advisor who can look at his individual circumstances with him. Next up, here's one from Anne-Marie who says, I feel my mum's a healthy 70-something. Widowed, homeowner. My pal tells me I should get her to leave her house to my kids now. So we pay less than it when she passes. Is this true? And can you explain it better for me, please? There's usually two main reasons why somebody would want to like, do this. Inheritance tax planning is, is one. And the second is often to try and avoid 
sort of paying care home fees if somebody was to, to land up in a home. And if I touch on the inheritance tax first, you've got an allowance of 325000 So if your estate's under that amount, you're not going to have inheritance tax to pay. Now, said there that she was widows, so she would also have, if, if her spouse hadn't used up any of his inheritance tax allowance, she would actually get that as well. So that would take it up to £650,000 before IHT would be payable. So, And there, there's other reliefs that you've got as well. So again, probably worth sitting down with a financial advisor to look at all that sort of things. But if you did have a liability if you were to give that asset away, as long as you then live for seven years, it would then be classed as being out with your estate at that point. When it comes to the care home fees, a lot of people often think if I gift the property away, that's got to avoid it. Now, the local authority, they could challenge that and they can go back any length of time. Again, there's a bit of a myth that people think, oh, it's seven years and then it's out of your estate for, for that purposes, but that's not correct. And there are disadvantages to to gifting and, and giving your home away. And one of those is what's called sideways disinheritance. So let, let's say you give your home to, to a son or daughter, if they're married and then split up, their husband or wife could lay claim to to that property or part of its value as well. So there's, there's pitfalls to watch out for as well. Again, we could probably do almost a whole podcast on, on that, but um, definitely worth kind of sitting down and looking at all the ins and outs, why you want to do it and, and looking at that. Would you say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a fair few topics so far and we may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us for episode 138 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. And thank you also to our special guest, David Liddell of Liddell Property Investments. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn too. Or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk that's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk send them your question and phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast as i say and please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer remember if you found this useful please rate and recommend us please follow us on apple or wherever you get your podcast and that way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it you'll get all the links you need on phil's social media good luck with your money phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further we'll see you next time and thanks for listening thanks john thanks very much for coming on david thank you very much been great to be here